This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. In recent weeks, some Americans sick with COVID-19 have been looking for a cure from a very unorthodox source, ivermectin. Here's how the Food and Drug Administration described the situation in a letter to veterinarians and animal health retailers this week. Quote, people are purchasing various highly concentrated animal ivermectin drug formulations such as, quote, boron, injectable, paste, and, quote, drench that are intended for horses, cattle, and sheep, and taking these drugs has made some people very sick. Even if animal drugs have the same active ingredient as the approved human drug, animal drugs have not been evaluated for safety or effectiveness in humans. Treating human medical conditions with veterinarian drugs can be very dangerous. The drug may not work at all, or it could worsen the illness and or lead to serious, potentially life-threatening health complications. People should not take products approved for veterinarian use, for research only, or otherwise not for human consumption. Fox News, as well as other conservative news outlets and radio personalities have promoted this cure. Among those was Phil Valentine, who recently died from COVID-19, who's also not vaccinated and urged his listeners to resist the vaccine. What are people looking to such unusual and potentially dangerous forms of treatment doing? What leads people to downplay COVID-19, scoff at masks, encourage others to resist vaccines, embrace alternative medicine, then go to the hospital, they get very sick? Do people know when they're acting foolishly or becoming a fool? We won't be getting into the weeds of ivermectin today. We wanted to talk about fools and folly and how that might help us our current environment where we see people all around us making decisions that may not make any sense to us. You're listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes, discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson. I'm Executive Editor of Christianity Today. All right, Ted, do you have an emotional reaction to the news <laughs> that I'm going to share? I feel like our listeners are about to have an emotional reaction to this podcast because this is going to definitely be one of those podcasts where people clicked into the podcast being like, oh, they're going to talk about ivermectin for an hour and that controversy. And we're going to be like, no, we're going to talk about Proverbs for an hour. Gotcha. We tricked you in listening <laughs> to a Bible podcast. We do that sometimes and we do it intentionally. Bait and switch. I'm sure the Bible has something to say about that. No, but I mean, ivermectin is a good entry because, I, you know, here's why I, I actually think it's, it's not totally crazy for people to be like, oh yeah, ivermectin, that might be good. Like ivermectin is actually a drug that it's an antiparasitic medicine, but also does prevents viruses from spreading. Are ways where it is used for humans on all sorts of illnesses, right? Like it's a Nobel Prize winning drug. It's saving tons of people's lives for other things, not necessarily COVID, but then you know, you've had people testifying in front of Congress about maybe ivermectin is a highly effective, well, I think there's one guy who said he's effectively a miracle drug against COVID. Now, a number of studies, some of which have said, yeah, this is great. Some of which have said, no, it's not. Merck that makes ivermectin, we're saying we, we don't know about the safety data for this. We, we're not, you know, 
are hard things that people can point to that aren't just crazy pants for people saying, uh, maybe I'll try ivermectin. Now, what's crazy pants is people taking versions of the drug that are like the veterinary medicine form of the drug, promoting it and being like, oh yeah, here's how you can take this horse drug or this sheep drug because those, those things aren't safe. We don't really have strong evidence that this is a way. We certainly have evidence that it's not the best way to treat COVID. And it certainly seems to be a more dangerous way than getting a vaccine. Now, all that said, why I think that this is interesting for talking about fools, foolishness, folly, and wisdom is that I think there's a lot of confusion about like, is this ivermectin thing the result of people on Fox News trying to like stick it to Biden somehow with this thing? Are people out there deliberately trying to undermine trust further in our institutions? Or is it just the result of like people being really anxious, people being like, I don't know that I trust the institutions. I'm getting a lot of mixed messages from you know medical authorities. I don't want to take the vaccine. So if I'm not going to take the vaccine, what can I take? And I think that gets into fools and folly because as I understand it, the way the Bible talks about fools and folly shifts. Like there's a shift between the Bible talking about fools and folly as indications of wickedness in a number of parts of the Old Testament. The Bible talking about fools and foolishness of people having lack of sense and there being fools and folly being like, yeah, a lot of people look foolishness when they follow the true truth. The wisdom of God is foolishness to man and being fools for Christ's sake. Like all those things that when we look at something and be like, that looks foolish, that it could be like, no, I've got a deeper truth. I do hear echoes of that, all those things in the ivermectin debate. So I think that's why there's a good lead in. So I'm eager for us to talk to somebody who has spent some more time in wisdom literature than I have and can help us. Again, sorry, listeners, not an actual ivermectin episode, <laughs> but I think our conversation today is directly applicable to this debate. Morgan, what's your gut on this? I hope it's not filled with deworming medicines. So a couple of weeks ago, I read this piece called Caught in the Crossfire Over COVID's Origins. Alina Chan suggested last year that the coronavirus was, quote, pre-adapted to humans. Critical reaction was swift and harsh. And this piece was really interesting for lots of reasons. One of the, like, the interpersonal reasons, the interpersonal states that science often seems to exist in. And one of the things that happens in here is that Alina gives her theories about the virus. I'm not going to detail this whole article. Like, it's not necessarily about what we're talking about. But she faces extremely severe pushback. And when I was reading it the whole time, I was thinking about Galileo and Copernicus and faced extremely harsh pushback, especially from the church, but just from other leaders at the time who thought what they were trying to get people to believe was a bunch of baloney. It just made me think a lot about, once again, these like larger questions of how do we know truth? Who is allowed to question the quote experts? How do we know that experts are right? We have a lot of questions these days about why we should trust the experts and who those should be. And, you know, when this whole ivermectin thing started, I never heard of this before and was a little bit surprised that so many people seem to know about what it was right away. Again, not like I end up hanging out in, I was going to say biology, biology department, chemistry department. I don't even know where this type of cure is developed in. It's not my world. It's not my space, but potentially... More people that I follow on Twitter knows what know what this is. In general, I guess I am skeptical that these things just simply come out of nowhere. That even if they are in some way misleading people, they did so with an element or a grain of truth in a way that made people convinced. 
or they did have some ability to positively affect outcomes in some people, but it wasn't, it didn't go through all the scientific rigmarole that normally things would go through to approve this. And sometimes what it's hard to know is if people are frustrated about it didn't go through the correct process or that it is actually something that is really, really bogus, right? Because the scientific and obviously read this letter from the Food and Drug Administration at the top, there's a whole range of testing that you need to do. So are they frustrated people to go through the testing? Is that a huge thing? It's difficult to know because as we all know, COVID occupies such a heated space in the political landscape as well. There's a lot of frustration for many people who are very pro-vaccine to the part that people who are not vaccine and who seem to be embracing alternative ideas about cures and so forth that don't seem to be based in quote-unquote science. I'm also glad that we're talking about this today because I think that it has massive implications for how Christians treat one another for how we also kind of navigate these things ourselves. So Ted, who is our guest? Our guest today is Dominic Hernandez. He is Associate Professor of Old Testament at Talbot School of Theology. That's over at Biola University. He's also, especially to our interest today, author of Proverbs, Pathways to Wisdom. He's also got a very cool new illustrated Job. It's kind of like a, almost like comic booky Job in Hebrew. It's cool. We can maybe get into some of that later, but for our purposes, it's the Proverbs book we want to talk about. Dominic, thank you for coming to Quick to Listen. Thank you for having me. I really uh, appreciate it, All right. We're going to make a hard pivot, man. We're going to make a hard pivot, but (laughs) (laughs) the book of Proverbs from Ivermectin. But let's just say, am I right that there is some difference in the way that different biblical books talk about fools, foolishness, folly, that occasionally it is more on the wickedness side, occasionally it is senselessness, mindlessness, uh, and occasionally there's like a hidden wisdom within the wise fool. Correct me if I'm wrong. Give me an overview about where the Bible talks about foolishness and what in especially the book of Proverbs, where the focus is on that. Actually, I would rather take the conversation back to Ivermectin and I'm sort of awesome a little bit. But just to say many of us without training in infectious diseases have over the past year, become experts in infectious diseases. And <laughs> exactly right. many of us with no military training have become experts in military strategy. And <laughs> as it relates to the book of Proverbs, people that speak outside of their lane without listening to others that are actually walking in that lane would be considered fools. And so where do we get this from? Well, if you just go to the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, we have this sort of this introduction to the book we read the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then many English translations will like have a colon. And there the book begins to mention why the book is important to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. And then we get to verse five. There's a couple more things listed there, but then we get to verse five and verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The parallel statement says, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddle. So what do we have packed into these two verses? Those people that are considered wise are listeners. In order to actually learn, you have to hear. In order to understand proverbs, you need to be a listener. And in many cases, listening is done with the eyes as as we read. And right after that verse, we read Proverbs 1-7, which is very famous. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we have these concepts, 
the fear of the Lord and listening combined right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs that is intended to impart instruction upon the reader or the listener. That's awesome. You do have this aspect where you are a listener and there is a flip side of that, which Proverbs has all sorts of stuff about the fool speaks a ton, right? Like the fool just talks all the time. We, we like that a lot. Our show is called Quick to Listen. There's a whole slow to speak thing. It does seem like Proverbs has a particular beef with people who talk. Is that just because they talk without listening? What's going on there? Absolutely. I think that you're, you've caught onto something here. The Proverbs uses various metonyms, right? To speak or to refer to speech. And many times when it does that, not all of the time, but many times when it, the book of Proverbs does that, the mouth or the tongue or the lips are used to represent imprudent speech. I talk about this one time in my book, an illustration in which I was asking for some food at a, at a, a falafel storefront in, in Israel. And I ran my mouth to the guy that was actually cooking my food. I said something to him that I shouldn't and immediately thought, oh no, this is, you know, what Proverbs says not to do, to run your mouth. Really, the guy was significantly bigger than me as well. It just would have ended really badly for me. But the point is, the book of Proverbs really encourages the reader or the listener to be quick to listen, to hear, right? As well as simultaneously receive instruction and you cannot receive instruction while you're running your mouth. And so repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs, these metonyms are used, mouth, tongue, lips, to encourage people to be wise in their speech. What are some of the other attributes of a fool? Some of the other attributes that we see specifically in the book of Proverbs are those that don't respect their relationships to their family. So we see a lot of these, son, don't dishonor your mother, listen to the instruction of your father. The usage of speech, like we just said, someone who is not humble, so the proud person, those who like aren't diligent in their work, those who are looking for, I guess we could say, a free lunch without working, without trying or earnest, earning honest wages. And then pertinent to this situation, I think we could say is those people who do not care for the vulnerable, that is those that are exclusively concerned about what they can get out of a situation and are not thinking about those that are vulnerable in society, they're considered fools in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so... I'm thinking of the line in Isaiah where you've got the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity. The fool is especially ungodly on the road to hell in some way. I mean, that's, you know, maybe not a great Old Testament phrase there, but there is evil doing in their heart more than just an idiot who loves to run his mouth off. Well, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. And that's because whether it's the COVID debate, whether it's Christian nationalism, whether it's any of these debates we're having, and I look out of the world, it seems to me that there's people who are deliberately trying to mislead people. There are people who strike me as having hearts of iniquity and attempting to deliberately give people false information, deliberately trying to sow discord, deliberately trying to lead people astray. And then there's people who are led astray. There's people who, you know, are trying to seek truth and they're following the wrong dude. The effect is the same. You know, whether it's, you know, Joe Rogan taking sheep medicine or there's someone who like is like, oh, I don't know, maybe Joe Rogan's on to something. Maybe I'll take some sheep medicine. And there's a listening aspect to the person that follows the fool. It seems weird to have one word where we're throwing in both the wicked and those who follow the wicked. 
And when we're in Proverbs, is there one kind of fool that we're really thinking of? Or what's the relationship between the wickedness and the deceiver and the deceived? The verse that comes to mind is First Star Wars 3.17, which is, who is more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? This is a good question. I think I understand where we're going here. There are some commentaries in the book of Proverbs that would split up the different biblical Hebrew words for fool and say, well, this is the type of fool that does this, or this might be the type of fool that does this. I personally don't really view the book of Proverbs that way. I, I think that Proverbs is presenting two paths and providing many illustrations of people on those different paths. So we have a pathway to wisdom and a pathway that is a destructive pathway. As we've been talking about speech, speech is one of the manifestations of which path you are on. It's representative of the path that you're on. So what we see is that the fool speaks a lot, right? We read, for example, in Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So we see a manifestation of wisdom in restraining one's lips. And then what that person says that is when someone speaks, they should speak wisdom. That is wisdom that coincides with what we see in in the book of Proverbs, which we've spoken about to a certain extent. But here I think is maybe the biggest point that we can take away concerning the speech issue in the book of Proverbs. And that is those that do speak in the book of Proverbs use words to reconcile. They use words to bring peace, right? Wise people speak less, they speak wisdom, and they use words to bring peace. So, for example, we see a very famous Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then we see elsewhere in Proverbs 26.20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. And so I think we can judge speech based upon these. We can judge, that is, the actual words, the actual, we could say, fruit of the speech based upon these criteria. But I also think that as followers and listeners to other people that are in positions, we could say, of expertise and authority, we should be judging their speech based upon these principles as well. On that question of judging, I'm anxious about jumping around too far around in scripture on this. I do want Proverbs to speak strongly, but I am struck by Jesus' words at the Sermon on the Mount, which is like, dude, don't go around calling people foolish, right? Anyone who says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That puts me uh, a little bit reluctant to be like, oh yeah, well that person is either acting foolishly or is in fact a fool who's not following wisdom as you just put up. Where is the wisdom in both judging people as fools and warning people about fools or calling people or saying you are being a fool now? Let me actually start with a brief illustration if this is okay. I was flipping through Instagram the other day and I noticed one of my friend's stories in which he had some very harsh rhetoric about a particular political official. He was basically pointing the finger at this political official and calling the political official a name, okay? I called him out on this and I said, why are you calling this person names? And he began to describe the actions of this particular political official. And I said, there is a distinction between describing the actions, which in this case were considered to be despicable by, by my friend, and calling the person despicable. I think Proverbs sets out plenty of examples of behavior that we can call despicable, not honoring the poor people in society, not caring for the widow, moving boundary points, all of these types of things, you know, being lazy and not desiring to work, even that, people that use their tongue to divide, all of these things can be, to continue with the illustration, 
despicable behavior, but I'm not sure that it's the responsibility of people now to, to point fingers and judge the intentions of the person and call the person names. So we can let the scriptures do that. I'm trying to create a distinction here between judging the intentions of a person and calling out the behavior of a person. Dominic, I hear what you're saying when it comes to the correlation between speaking and being a fool, but I do feel like that's in tension with how we often view the responsibility of leaders. And especially in the way that we've defined leadership, many times that comes along with giving speeches, giving talks, writing essays, providing specific verbal guidance on something. One of the things that I was thinking about is conversations that we've had among coworkers are kind of like, what are the boundaries of what church leaders in particular should talk about, right? We'll see calls for church leaders to talk about this topic and this topic and this topic, and it may not all be related to theology, right? But it may have something that you know transcended to larger cultural territory. So I'm wondering if you can talk about how you might advise leaders to best address their communities. With those platforms that you're talking about comes an additional responsibility in terms of recognizing that we are responsible in so much we can possibly be, we're responsible for how our words are perceived. And so when we're given this responsibility to speak in front of people or to teach people, we have to recognize that those things that we say carry potentially greater consequences than if we're having a private conversation with friends that don't necessarily consider us an expert. I actually do want to focus, if it's okay, on that idea of an expert, the concept of an expert, because many times when we're looking at leaders, we by default consider them to be experts and therefore, in many cases, take their words to be an expert opinion on something. And there's been such a, a commercialization of the idea, the word expert, that almost anyone can be called an expert or perceived to be an expert in lots of fields. So where am I going with this? A brief illustration, if I can, may suffice here. And that is, I have a PhD in Old Testament Semitic studies. People hear Bible and they ask me questions frequently about archaeology. And people in my field know that Old Testament and Semitics, really, the area that I study and that I you know, write on and stuff like that has almost nothing to do with archaeology. They're peripherally connected, but there's not a lot of overlap between actual archaeology and Old Testament or, or Semitics and, and the stuff that I do. But if I make a comment on archaeology in one of my classes, like I'm sure that the Exodus happened on this date because of the following archaeology, archaeological evidence or something like that, I have to recognize as the teacher that students may perceive what I'm saying as an expert opinion on something. And especially if I position myself as an expert. And so I think that there is wisdom in how we position ourselves when we speak in front of people, which has everything to do with humility. We have to stay in our lanes and speak to those things humbly with, for which we have training. So practically, should pastors address the topic of vaccines to their congregations? I think that pastors and teachers of the Bible, leaders within the context of congregations and other leadership positions within the church. That's not just filler, by the way, that I'm nuancing this specifically to say we are compelled to speak to things that affect the church at large from a biblical perspective. And so the answer would be yes. But the reason why I'm trying to nuance this here is that 
on many occasions, I, w- I would like to state yes in such a way that does not give pastors and leaders within the congregations free reign to simply express any perspective, in this case, maybe a political perspective on something so important as vaccinations or vaccination status or saving these types of things. So the short answer is yes. The longer answer is yes, insofar as it is a biblical perspective or at least couched in what we're striving to do primarily as preachers and teachers of the word of God, which is to preach and teach the word of God. Let's talk about another (laughs) challenge when it comes to opening your mouth and talking. I would be happy to know why you just groaned though, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is just a delicate dance with all of these things because sometimes there's a sense of other people viewing what you might feel like you have a, what is very biblical as wading into politics, right? Or having a political agenda. There just seems to be some subjectiveness, right? Depending on how you might receive those words from that church leader or your pastor. And I feel like that is what can make that standard a little bit challenging for people to implement. Right. There, there is always an element of sub- subjectivity when we teach from the Bible about contemporary issues that weren't spoken to necessarily in, within the context of, like in the actual Zitzimleben of the, of the scriptures, right? So we're applying principles to contemporary situations. And in many cases that can be sticky, but the question I think related to whether it is the responsibility of church leaders to address these issues. And it would be a, a huge void in any ministry at this juncture, a year and a half into the the COVID situation to to not address this issue. Why wouldn't you think? Right. I mean, I don't not agree. I just know that this is exactly the terrain where people can kind of get like hung up on, right? Who has the authority to speak onto what issue, which is what you were going back to with regards to experts. I want to go back to your example that you brought up a couple minutes ago where you decided to confront your friend about their disparaging mark that they had made about the politician, because that is definitely an area where I think people also struggle with whether or not to use their words. So what does the book of Proverbs say about confronting each other about actions and behavior that we do not find to be godly? More so than confronting, the instruction in the book of Proverbs is directed toward people associating, that is closely associating or identifying with people that would not fear the Lord. So for example, we read in Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I think that more the instruction in Proverbs is, if you are a fear of the Lord, that is, if you are a person that honors and respects God's word, then make sure not to tangle yourself, that is, not just befriend, but intertwine yourself with those that would live lives that would not honor God lest you learn their ways. Dominic, am I hearing you correctly that you're saying the confrontation is for people who are not currently following God? That's who we're called to kind of potentially rebuke. No, that's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if I understood your question properly, you said, what does the Proverbs say about confronting people? And I'm actually saying, I would say that the Proverbs speaks much more to the people that want to follow the way of the Lord. That is that fear the Lord, not to, as this 
verse specifically says, learn the way and entangle themselves in the snare, snares of the wicked. What I'm saying is the proverb speaks to the person who fears the Lord to stray from evil, not necessarily encouraging people to be sort of callers, outers of wicked behavior or the wicked people in that sense. So there's not a specific prophetic directive, I guess. Do you think that there's a prophetic directive? I I might be missing something, to be honest with you, but I'd be happy to, if there is a prophetic directive or if you're thinking some verse about some verses, I'd be happy to discuss those. But no, I, I don't see this prophetic directive per se in the book of Proverbs that is to, yeah, no. But are you thinking of something? I may be missing something. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind for me is that I read a lot of Proverbs as a kid growing up and in the context that Proverbs was read to me, it was read to me as a directive for my life. Does that make sense? So it wasn't like we were studying the beta themes of Proverbs. It was like, here, you should apply these particular verses to how you're living your life. I'm glad that you brought that up. That I think explains some of the potential confusion in the question response. And that is because I don't approach the Proverbs that way. I don't approach the book that way. I approach the book as opposed to these being commandments, this is an actual composition that was put together with literary themes and with structure. And so what we end up seeing, I think, as we go through the book, for example, we have this preface that I mentioned, and then we have the rest of chapter one through nine being an introduction to these different pathways, mostly using the illustration of the, the wise woman and this woman of folly. And then we have these individual proverbs that touch on a lot of the same themes between chapters 10 and 30. And then we have the Proverbs 31 poem at the end. But throughout all of those independent compositions are eventually composed and put together with a literary purpose. And so I don't see these individual verses to be commands for every single believer at all times. The Proverbs are situational and they need the proper situation in order to be applicable. That I think is why we See, for example, as some would say that there is there are these contradictions in the book of Proverbs. More specifically, what we see is the apparent contradiction in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, where we have, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the very next verse, we have, answer a fool according to his folly. Like, wait, 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 wait. like, are you an answer, not answerer? Or like, what's the deal here? What the people that put together the book of Proverbs or the final editor of the book of Proverbs, was that? person that dumb to not know that two Proverbs contradict each other? I mean, like I'm looking at the Hebrew right now. These Proverbs are saying different things. Well, actually, if we view the book of Proverbs and the individual Proverbs to actually be conditional based upon situations, then we know there are situations in which we do not answer people that are acting foolishly. For example, do you all answer all of the like hate mail that you get or the Facebook comments that you get from haters? <laughs> like seriously, do you, I mean, but you don't, right? Neither do I. I. I'm occasionally privileged to have people hate on me on social media. No, but dear listener, I guarantee that we read yours. So I probably... <laughs> but then in the very next verse, answer full according to his folly. Now I have children and I know that sometimes my children act foolish. They don't want to do things that are good for them, like homework, I guess. And that's good, right? But other things that are just, good for them. And I will sit and I will reason with them. I will answer them. So both of those Proverbs are completely true, 
they're just based upon situations. And so if we understand these proverbs to be commands that are universally applicable, we're going to have a straight contradiction here. I think, Morgan, as you were suggesting that you were taught to read them or how they were read to you, we're going to have a straight contradiction here. If we recognize each of them to be a sort of a slice in this greater idea of wisdom, biblical wisdom that we can apply in different circumstances and different situations, then the Proverbs turns into a magnificent composition that we can learn from and embrace in its totality. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But hey, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. Dominic, are you more likely to see Proverbs as being descriptive or prescriptive? Do I have to choose? <laughs> yes, obviously, binaries now. <laughs> more likely to see myself as a person that doesn't like to choose pre-existing categories. A and B. No. Well, just tell me why I'm wrong with putting them in a binary. That's fine. I think that the binary is difficult here because we do have descriptive and prescriptive. Here's the issue. We have to read this book of Proverbs as a whole, right? Over 900 different verses we have to read in its totality. There are different sections of the book of Proverbs that I just mentioned. And it's very clear they all were not composed together. For example, we see at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 25 that there's a section that was put together by Hezekiah's men. Uh, we see Agura chapter 30. We see Lemuel in chapter 30. We see the Proverbs of Solomon in chapter 10. So all this was put together by a really smart author that knew what the author was doing. Are there prescriptive elements? Sure. Are there descriptive elements? Yes. But I think that we're, we're missing something broader here when we think in those binaries. And that is, Literarily, this is good stuff. This is good literature. I'm with you. It is great literature. How, though, are we supposed to have this literature communicate with the rest of Scripture? Before the show, I was mentioning, I don't love Proverbs. Someone told me once or I read it somewhere. 
Never read uh, Ecclesiastes apart from reading Proverbs. Never read Proverbs apart from reading Ecclesiastes. I read Ecclesiastes and it just rings real true to me. I read Proverbs and I'm like, that doesn't happen. Like there's not a lot of if then, like if you act this righteously, then good things will happen. Like, Like, man, that sounds so much like prosperity gospel or that sounds so much like greeting card silliness. And I have a hard time often accepting some of the Proverbs as I accept them as divinely inspired. But I'm like, yeah, this has got to be saying something other than what it says on its face, because that just seems to be not how the world works. I got to like super spiritualize this stuff, which I don't love doing because I'm an evangelical and I like taking scripture on its face and I want scripture to mean what it says. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, you read other parts of scripture and I'm like, "Ah, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of Proverbs, you know, I'm like, this seems to be different than what Proverbs says. I wish I could give an immediate example, but definitely the book of Ecclesiastes uh, says opposite things that, that than Proverbs. <laughs> well, Ted, thank you for that. This is an important question because it, it doesn't just affect Ted, right? This affects people as they read through the book of Proverbs and go through life. They realize, oh my goodness, like this proverb, this doesn't really work this way. Like, are you kidding me? And you mentioned, well, I'm an evangelical and I, I accept this to be inspired, but, and I like to take things at face value. If here's what I, what I found in my teaching that I think might be helpful. And that is taking things at face value, biblical texts at face value does not exclude the literary genius of the actual authors, right? So that means we can take things at face value that were actually molded and crafted for the education of the reader and the listener. And I think that that's precisely what we have in the book of Proverbs. We shouldn't create that dichotomy and say, well, we like to take things at face value and this doesn't match up to reality and therefore it's either not true or I have to be a fool and sort of make my reality not real and match up with the scriptures, I I guess. And I think we see different examples of that in different areas of the church, to be honest. But you also mentioned how the book of Proverbs interacts or, or reads with other sections of the scripture. And I would say it's important to, to recognize that as we read the Proverbs, we're able to, to see the themes that are re, repeated in the Proverbs, like caring for one's family, caring for the vulnerable, working hard, those things that we've mentioned already. We can't just read one, one or two or 10 verses in the Proverbs and sort of leave it there. We have to ask, what does the book say overall concerning these particular issues? That is, if we were to read the book, not just one or two verses in their context, but what does the book overall say about this? And then what can we learn from other wisdom about this particular issue? So how does, let's say, Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, how do they read together concerning these issues? And if they still don't read so well together, what does the rest of the Bible say overall about these particular issues? And how can what Proverbs teaches concerning a certain issue be viewed in in light of the overall biblical teaching of a topic? Just give an example in which we're kind of like, oh my gosh, that seems so messed up. That doesn't coincide with reality. And I'm not going to be creative here. I'm just going to use Job's friends. All right. So <laughs> really, I mean, this is, this is yeah. good stuff and it's right there next to the book of, right, to the, right next to the book of Proverbs in our Bible. So we as readers are privileged to Job 1 and 2. We see what's going on in the prologue. We experience this privileged information. And then Job's basically starts off Job, Job 3 and he says, damn the day of my birth. I wish it was never happened. Right. And we're like, oh no, 
no, no, George, Joke, Joke. Sorry, not George. Joke. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. Don't do that, right? Because we know that this is not like against Job. This is a divine contest. But what ends up happening is that Job's friends in the first round of speeches, more, I guess you could say, kindly to a certain extent, say to Job, Job, you know, we recognize that traditional wisdom says that you're suffering like this because there's something hidden in your life. You got to like confess something. Now, let's just pause right there for a second, right? There is all of this traditional wisdom that, that we could say in the book of Proverbs that seems to line up with this. But here's the thing that the book of Job does that Proverbs doesn't do. And that is Job gives us a prologue in which we see that there are situations. Remember, we talked about situations a couple of minutes ago. There are situations in which some of these sayings that are frequently quoted in the book of Job by his friends do not line up. And Job's situation is one of those situations in which what we would consider to be traditional wisdom and in some cases, biblical wisdom become trite sayings because they, we know as readers, they do not line up with Job's situation. And by the time we get into the second round of speeches, Job's friends are basically calling him wicked. They say that he's going to basically suffer the consequences of his wickedness or that he already has. And he's eventually going to die because of his wickedness. Again, that sounds so much in so many ways like the book of Proverbs, but we have this privileged information in the prologue and we know that Job is working through a situation in which many of those traditional sayings do not apply. That privileged information. Okay, it's back to that issue you were raising before, which is, okay, obviously we have our authority in scripture. I'll highly affirm that. Okay, but then there's a, <laughs> the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us whether to take ivermectin. I've had some conversation about authority and about who to listen to and how we listen. Again, how we make sure... <laughs> That we are fools for, for Jesus. Like there is all sorts of good stuff in the New Testament about, you know, you're going to look foolish. There's also elements in the New Testament of Paul writing, like we were once foolish. So it's not like you're permanently in kind of a foolish state. You can see a lot of pushes against authority in the Bible's conversation of foolishness and wisdom. How do you know when you're actually pursuing wisdom and when you're pursuing foolishness? There are some fundamental beliefs to Christianity and evangelical Christianity in particular that are used sometimes by groups that essentially, well, I guess you could say they're not used in helpful ways in difficult social moments. And let me be more specific here. Within the Bible, we see that there is constantly the mention of this remnant, right? There's a remnant, there's a remnant of Israel, and then there's a remnant in the New Testament. That remnant of people. And by the way, again, understand, I'm not saying that this is being used properly, but I'm saying this, is, this seems to be kind of the logic here, that this remnant of people has a unique knowledge, a, sort of a special, and in some ways we could say a secret knowledge concerning God that they've been able to somehow or some way perceive that others haven't. Others have sort of been, they've sort of gone the way, I guess you could say, of the beast. And so utilizing these biblical concepts we have a, a situation in which some people really believe that they're part of a remnant that has special or secret knowledge and that the rest, I guess you could say, have been sucked into this greater movement. And we know that the gate is narrow, right? And that can be problematic. But I would just encourage people that may think that they're part of a remnant to remember that the book of Proverbs really 
pushes listening to people. It really pushes even listening to people that aren't of your specific age group. Like we see the constant intergenerational communication in the book of Proverbs. And we see that the book of Proverbs also pushes many other principles that don't coincide with this idea that I am going to protect my small group of people that has secret knowledge. Like for example, caring for those people that are outside our community, especially those that might be poor or might be marginalized. The book of Proverbs speaks to that. So I think on the one hand, Christian beliefs, how some of these Christian concepts are misunderstood, like the concept of a remnant, the concept of having not secret knowledge, but I guess you could say unique knowledge or of the Lord and the Lord's things, that is used and to play into this idea that there is a remnant that refuses to bend against the bigger machine. COVID is really such a fascinating place to be in, right? Because I feel like at CT, we've been publishing articles for years that talk about how to live in spaces with Christians who hold different beliefs. But COVID really has pushed in the forefront that these beliefs are going to lead to dramatically different actions. Many of them not just taking place outside of church, but in church, right? With regards to things like masking or being vaccinated or having to be in spaces with people who are not vaccinated. In those contexts, when you do think that the Christians that you are in community with are acting foolishly and foolishly to the point that they could hurt you, what type of guidance and wisdom does Proverbs offer for us? It's going to sound crazy, but we've never had a COVID moment. There isn't a COVID moment in the scriptures. I mean, that sounds nuts. I know I'm supposed to be, you know, a biblical scholar, but but think think about what that really means. And that is Christians around the world are doing their best in many cases to think through this and to work through this in community. And that is a, a lot of us. And still, even those of us that don't believe that we're part of this remnant with secret knowledge, even those of us that are are really striving to work through this have different opinions, right? I live in a county that has a mask mandate right now. And I go to a church about two miles away in another county that doesn't have a mask mandate. How do we think through these things? And I think that the principles that we see in books like Proverbs, especially in this case, and that is, are we considering those around us? Are we considering those that may be on the margins of society? Are we thinking through how we can live in a community with one another prior to thinking about our own personal, even, even rights? In many cases, we have to recognize that the Bible doesn't speak directly to the COVID moment, but it does speak directly to how we treat each other in community. And I think that we can learn a lot from the book of Proverbs concerning how to go about being just kind to one another. I actually have a very specific follow-up to that because I see concern from some of these days that it's really important that we don't overly cater to people's anxieties and that there are times when people's anxieties about something like the pandemic may not actually be reflective of what we currently understand about the pandemic. So there's all these like more micro discussions about masking children, for instance, right? Or about children going to school who haven't had the opportunity to be vaccinated at this point. And I'll see very strident discussion about these types of things that suggest that there's a fair number of people who are very concerned that anxieties are not based in reality are being ones that other people who don't share their anxieties are being asked to 
does Proverbs also, or the Bible at large, offer a sense of what that line is between serving one another, but maybe not overly validating anxieties that you feel to be false or misplaced? I appreciate this question. At this time, like in this sort of moment with the COVID thing, I understand why it's being brought up, but I think that the church has dealt with this type of thing in the past. So let's just say on either side, it doesn't matter what we're talking about at this juncture, there are over-anxieties. Most people, let's just say within the context of our congregation, would consider a particular anxiety to be an over-anxiety, okay? It's on the extreme of the bell curve. It's not a mainline anxiety, I guess you could say. How would we work through this if it weren't a COVID moment? And in many cases, we might treat this as maybe a mental wellness thing or some sort of issue where people would have maybe a mental health problem or something like that. Now think about this for a second. How would we treat people with mental health issues within the context of our congregations? And the answer to that is that we would be loving and kind and try to serve their needs as much as possible. So I don't want to use the over-catering thing to push back against people that don't agree with me on these issues. What I would like to say is even if I and maybe the eldership at my church or even my institution think that there is that the anxiety is not rooted in reality as a brother in Christ or as a sister in Christ. I, I do think that it is our responsibility to treat those people still with love, to watch our tongue and our lips and the things that we say and to do our best in this particular moment to treat those people with dignity and with honor. Dominic, it has been awesome talking to you since you are a Proverbs expert and I've heard you talk a lot about the importance of reading Proverbs in the context of each other. My last question before we end is, should you be reading one chapter of Proverbs a day or does that strip it up the overall context that it needs to have? Morgan, thank you. (laughs) People ask this question more frequently than you actually might think because of how you told me that you were taught the Proverbs. And many students will come to me and say, well, I read a proverb a day or I read a chapter a day. I go through it once a year or something like this. And my encouragement is keep reading the Bible. We should read the Bible, whether we understand it all or not. We want to do our best to continue to just read it. Why? Because of we believe that our God is a verbal God that communicates through words and that we as believers can read and engage with the Almighty through the written word. So keep reading. This is not an activity in elitism. I'm not saying you have to read well before you actually read it. I'm not doing that. What I am saying, however, is that in addition to reading your proverb or your chapter a day, it's important to be conscious of the fact that we are engaging with a literature, a composition that was carefully crafted and put together with literary purposes that we might not consider if we only read a little bit of it at a time. Honestly, Dominic, this was a very robust and entertaining conversation. Definitely brought up a lot of stuff to think about. Appreciate you so much coming on. For people who have comments, questions, pushback, you guys know where to find us. We are at podcast at christianmetoday.com. And we definitely want to hear from you on this subject. I'm sure it stirred up a lot of thoughts and feelings. So come find us. You know where we are and share your opinion with us. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, and it's where we ask everyone to share something that has recently brought them joy. Go ahead, Ted. I'm going to be simple this week and to say my wife and I took a lovely walk to downtown Wheaton last night, got some ice cream, walked back home, had a just a great kind of midweek date of walking, talking, ice cream, 
And it was, you know, lovely 70 degrees, kind of perfect. One of those nights that makes you glad you live where you live. Aww. Sun had a nice set. It was truly a precious moment. It's that simple. That's my week. You can find me on Twitter at Ted Olson. What type Morgan. of ice cream though? <laughs> oh, I got a double kid scoop of salted caramel and cookies and cream. It was great. Wow, good call. I don't have a precious moment this week. I am actually stewing right now because somehow whenever I go see the Giants finally play, they're play terrible. And this is despite the fact that the Giants are having an amazing year and doing really well. And they're still playing terrible right now when I have managed to finally go see them. They have been leading in their division since the end of April. And last night they lost and they lost the whole division for the first time since April. And I was at that game. I guess I could say it was great to be at the ballpark, but I was actually pretty upset the whole time. It's great to be in San Francisco and I did not dress warmly enough, but nevertheless, I did not ultimately freeze to death and we ended up getting access to a cool part of the park and I did briefly chat with one of the guys in the bullpen because we were so close to him. This was one of the Brewers players who the Giants were playing, but I'm actually pretty much still sour grapes about this whole situation. Well, Morgan, I grew up without a team growing up in Hawaii, but you know, I was a Cubs fan growing up back before they actually were good. I don't know. For me, baseball is pain, man. Like true baseball fans were always a little happier being miserable than they were. Any victory that they got, especially special teams that won all the time, you know, like yes. Yankees fans and whatever. They Those weren't happy people. Those were not happy people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you, you know, people had a joy in their miseries. It seems to me like that's what baseball is all about. As I would not, not say currently a baseball fan. It is not joyful being miserable, but if you are not in pain, it does not make victory sweet. I will say that much. <laughs> yeah. That part is true. But I didn't want to be in pain. I just wanted to be able to feel happy that I was like at the Giants game, being happy, whatever. I'm just mad. So that's what I'm mad about this week. There you go. All right. It's not a precious moment, but it's a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Dominic, what has been bringing you joy lately? Over the past couple of years, my children were homeschooled, not unlike a lot of children in the United States. And this year, we just moved to California and our children go to a school about a half a mile away. They're back in public school. My wife and I have been walking our children to school and walking home. And for that 12 minutes where we walk home, we hold hands and we chat about non-children stuff. And <laughs> it's wonderful. It's just great to, to have a 12 minutes, that conversation time with young kids. I will say a couple of brief comments. Morgan, I'm, I'm sorry that you're Giants didn't do You live in LA. I'm scared. What's coming next? I am a Phillies fan and we gave up with <laughs> Gabe Kapler a couple of years ago and absolutely <laughs> killing it with the Giants. Yes. And, and Ted, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think that you need to go with a double adult scoop next time and not the double <laughs> yeah. scoop. I mean, you got to make ice cream really count, you know? All right. I'm pushing my, I'm pushing my lactose intolerance with the kid scoops already. So I... I would survive. That's the momentary joy. I got to keep the kid scoops for it to still be a uh, precious moment. I'm not judging. I like how Dominic is dunking (laughs) on our precious moments. Okay, Dominic, you stole Ted's precious moment. How about that? Okay. It was was not intentional. I understand. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Dominic, where can we find you online? Are you on Twitter? Got a website? My website is domshernandez.com. And I can be found on all of the social media platforms. Facebook is Dr. Dominic Hernandez. Instagram and Twitter are Dom underscore S underscore Hernandez. 
All right. Well, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. The music is by Sweeps, and transcript is done by Faith and Dovu. Again, send us emails. I know we had this big thing about speaking, but you are welcome to speak. And we'll decide if you're foolish or not. How about that? So, yes. Send us emails, podcast at christianitytoday.com and go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review the show. Again, I tell our Mars Hill podcast fan to come over. We will see you all next week. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.